The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. As we get started tonight, I want to do something a little bit different. Uh, I, I, for those of you that are here for the first time, I say welcome. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And I'm just thrilled that you would come out and join us during finals week and, and uh, hope that you, you make yourself at home. Uh, but what we're going to do tonight is a little bit different as we lean into this. And that's that, that I want to invite you to consider an image. And if, if you do visual, visualization best by closing your eyes, I, I invite you to do that. Uh, but but I, I want to lead us into uh, what we're going to be talking tonight by, by inviting you to consider an image, however you might come up with this image. Okay, so do whatever you need to do. Put, put your head down, close your eyes, uh, lay back, whatever it is you need to do. But, but join me in, in considering and in, in picturing yourself uh, on, a, on a trail uh, someplace. Perhaps it's a, it's a hike that you've just done, a, a walk that, that you've done, and you are exhausted. This was a little bit more than you expected, and in some ways you, you've been let down from some expectations that you had. But as you're tired with each weary step, you, you hear the sound, the sound of what you think is a voice. Maybe it's a bird. Maybe it's something overhead. But as you keep walking with each weary step, the voice seems to get louder until you come to this place in the trail where, where the, the, the voice is louder and it is no doubt a voice. And you've come to this trail where, where there is, there's a pit. There's a hole. You don't know how it got there, but this is deep. And as you approach, as you approach this pit, you look down and it is steep. And it is deep. And it is dark. And as you, as you get to your knees and look into this pit, trying to figure out what that sound is, you see a face. You see the face of Maybe it's a good friend. Maybe a a family member. But you see a face and you identify them. They're calling out for help. This pit is big and deep. It's steep. And you don't know what to do. You don't know how to get this person that you know, that you care for, out. What do you do? Lord, help us as we consider tonight uh, this pit. The pits that we interact with. Lord, help us out uh, as we seek to figure out what we would do 
how we would do it. Lord, help us out particularly if, as we've looked into this pit, what we've seen is ourselves. Lord, be with us and speak to us tonight in a way that we might receive what it is that you have to say to us tonight. In Christ's name, amen. This quarter, we've been looking at how faith and doubt interact. We've been looking at what it means to pursue faith over certainty and in some ways to take these things that we have called doubts and see how they might springboard us into a greater faith that leads to greater commitment and love of Jesus Christ. Last week, we got to hear from the book of Judges about a guy named Gideon and his doubt. This guy that was, that, that God rather surprised Gideon, but God was not surprised at Gideon's doubt. And tonight we come to a story at about the same time, the same time as, as Gideon, the same time as the book of Judges, uh, this little book in the Old Testament named Ruth that hones in on one particular woman who finds herself in a deep, dark pit. Who is asking for help and going, how do I get out? We are going to, to look at this woman who had left her homeland because of a famine. She was hungry. She went in, in search of food. She went with her husband and, and two sons. And as they journeyed into this new land in search of, of some needs, leaving the place that God had promised their people, leaving those friends and family behind, they come into a new place where her boys marry some of the women that live in that land. And then a tragic turn of events. Both of those boys die along with her husband. And this woman named Naomi is left with almost nothing. So we come to this story, this, this woman in the book of Ruth named Naomi that is a pit that is in a pit. And we pick up the story tonight in chapter 1, verse 8, as we seek to answer this question, what gets somebody out of this type of pit? Kimber's going to read our text tonight. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who would become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. 
Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went out on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, this is a story, believe it or not, of a faithful God. But once again, as we have seen throughout the quarter, it is a story of a faithful God that begins with intense doubt and even bitterness. So we continue, I want to look at at some of these reasons that would have caused Naomi to make such statements of being bitter, of what is what in her opinion has caused the Lord to actually turn against her. Well, the first and the most obvious is that circumstances stink in this woman's life. She has left her homeland to flee a famine, find virtually no relief, and then loses almost Almost everything, and certainly everything that has given her some sort of identity at this point. Now, whether you believe that is right or wrong, I, I want us to, to dive into having a little bit of a sense of, of empathy for, for Naomi. And, and I do so acutely as one that, when I consider this story, if you were to take away my wife, and if you were to take away my son... As much as I would love to tell you that my identity is rooted deeply in God and the foundation is firm enough in Christ to be able to handle that, in that moment, I promise you, I would be an absolute wreck. As far as I can tell in my life, as I was reminded about a week ago, that there are really only two things that that I can uniquely do as Ryan Church. And those two things are be a husband to Julie, and be a dad to Carson. Everything else that I do in my life is pretty much replaceable, but only I can do those two things. What Naomi had taken away were these two key parts of her identity that only she could be. These circumstances stink. If Naomi could Facebook, tweet, or text, you, can better, you better believe you'd see an FML in that line. <laughs> because all that remains, and this is the second thing of what she has left, are these two pagan women. 
Remember, she had left her homeland down in Bethlehem, gone up a little bit to the north and to the east into this place called Moab. And these were, the Israelites and the Moabites were two groups of people that didn't have a whole lot of positive things to say about each other. So not only are you hungry, you're hanging out with a bunch of people that you don't like, and then, and then, your two sons marry two Moabite women? I would akin this to a, to a situation of if I were to take my wife and son, and let's say there was a, 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 a sort of famine in Seattle, and we were forced to uh, go the, the other direction and flee south, and we were called to flee south to Eugene, Oregon. And let's say that, that God forbid it, while we were there, I and Carson both die, and, and maybe it's later on in life, and Carson married a, a, a woman that went to the U of O. God forbid that. <laughs> Carson and I are both gone, and Julie is left with this freaking duck. Okay? Even, even, worse, even worse might be two of them. All that remains for Naomi are these two women. And quickly, those two women become one. And, and, and lest I get too carried away with that, it's important to point out that we, we need to remember that Orpha and Ruth also are in great pain at this point. Naomi isn't the only one here in despair. Naomi's not the only one in chaos. But Ruth is as well. She's lost her husband. So these circumstances stink where everything is gone and all you have left is now one, one pagan woman, one Moabite woman left. What does that do? It leaves Naomi convinced that God has turned against her. As she said in the text that, that Kimber Reed and Kimber read, she believes that God is out to get her, not provide for her or love her. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever had that moment of going, what did I do to mess it up? What did I do to, to get God mad at me? What did I do that, that wasn't good enough to somehow earn a degree of blessing. The end result of all of this is that Naomi is convinced that God has turned against her. Poor circumstances and doubt in a kind, compassionate God has made Naomi bitter. At this point, all she can see all she can see is the negative. Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which is bitter because the Lord has turned against me. Friends, here in that, I doubt that God loves me. I doubt that God is good. I'm not pleasant. I'm bitter. When our faith is rooted in the circumstances we begin to predict, predict that we know what the outcome is. And the outcome is just as, as Naomi has said, that God is not good. And we see a woman in despair and ready to give up. Ready to say, the circumstances have told me 
all I need to know, I'm done. As many of you know, and as I've shared from up here before, I'm, I am a, a big college football fan. And, uh, you know, for the most part, I never, ever leave a game early. And I, I, take, I take a great deal of pride in that. Well, about three years ago, as I'm watching uh, bowl games, and I love watching bowl games, I'm watching a game uh, between Oklahoma and Boise State. Rooting hard for the underdog. I'm rooting for Boise State. And Boise State was, was a, they were not supposed to win this game. For those of you that don't know football, some of you probably know what I'm talking about. This was a huge underdog. And as I'm watching this game, they're hanging in there, they're hanging in there. But late in the game, Oklahoma intercepts a pass and it's nails. And as, as the, the Oklahoma players running that ball across the goal line into the end zone, for me, the game is over and I turn off the television. I go and complain to my wife how Goliath has just won again and talk about how boring the bowl season has otherwise been. Well, the next day I come into the office and people are going, man, did you see that game? I was like, yeah, bummer that Boise State couldn't pull it out. <laughs> Only to hear that after I turned the game off, Boise State comes back and, and they had won on, on two miraculous plays but I had sealed the fate and turned off the game before it was over. I learned my lesson because I stayed till the very end of the Arizona game, for sure. <laughs> but the circumstances can sometimes get us to a place where we're predicting the outcome. What the circumstances can do is give us this sense of, of knowing what's going to happen, of, of being certain that God maybe isn't so good. And friends, here's the warning that, that we need to hear. The warning isn't, don't turn the TV off. The warning has to do with what happens when you become bitter. And the warning is towards an ongoing hardness of heart. It is the hardness of heart that took down Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. Check it out. And even Jesus, in responding to some people that were saying, prove it to us, prove it to us, show us who you are, give us a miracle. He even says to his, disciple, to his disciples, are your hearts becoming hard? Are you losing faith? In my opinion, hardness of heart is actually at the root of numerous other sins. It is hardness of heart when there is this stubbornness that says, I Know the outcome already. I have the answer. I can shut things down. Hardness of heart. But friends, what happens in this story is not a story of hardness of heart winning. What this story goes on to tell us is that there is a better, there is a better ending. That this bitterness can be wiped away. Now I want to look at how that might be. And particularly for those of you that have been coming throughout this quarter that have been saying, you know, Ryan, it's been great to hear about how doubt can lead us in to greater faith. But, but how? What do we do? How do we get there? Tonight this message is for you because I think what this text shows us is profound on how it can lead us to a place of greater faith, even working through our doubt and bitterness. What do you do with doubt? 
simply, you give it company. You give it friendship. Because in this story that we've read, that's exactly what this foreign Moabite pagan woman does for Naomi. She gives her some company. She gives her a friend. We give doubt friendship. Now, what does giving doubt this type of friendship or company look like? What do we do to help get somebody out of that pit? Or perhaps, what do we need to find ourselves out of that pit as well? First, is that friendship groans. It groans. It doesn't, offer, it doesn't necessarily jump to offering answers and advice, but it offers empathy. And in groaning, you lend empathy. If you're somebody that, that when, when people have chaos in their lives, that people just kind of seek you out, my guess is that you are strong in empathy. If you find yourself uh, sitting here going, you know what, no, none of my friends ever seek me out uh, when, they're, when they're having trouble, my guess, uh, what I would point you back to is, are you jumping to somehow solve all their problems or give uh, this pithy advice too soon? Not that advice is bad, but the first thing that Ruth does in verse 13 is groan. You need somebody to groan with you. I know that this may sound a bit like a shocker, but uh, in the life of the R, there have been women that have broken up with me. I know. <laughs> totally, totally bewildering. You're going, hold on, what? I don't think I heard you correctly. You're trying to tell me that people broke up with you? Yes, I know. It's unbelievable to me. But in that circumstance... I was grateful to have some guys that didn't tell me what new clothes I needed to get, that didn't tell me what habits I had to kick, but guys that just kind of sat with me and, you know, maybe over an adult beverage, <laughs> and, sa- and just said, dude, dude, that sucks. That sucks. And yes, Soon enough, they rolled back around to, you know, as I'm walking around going, oh, you know, woe is me, nobody likes me, whatever. You know, pretty soon they get back up in my joint saying, you have got to remember, you are the R. You've got to get back in there. You have got boyish charm. You have got man... You have got a manly physique. You are not afraid to go over the middle. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Friendship groans before it gives advice. It's empathetic before it moves on. Friendship also stays close. In our text, in that same verse, they wept aloud. That was the groaning. But then it says that Ruth clung to Naomi. She stayed close. And this is where I want us to get back in our pit. That at the heart of what friendship is, if it starts with empathy, it is also lending mercy. 
If we go back to that pit that we started to, what we're talking about in getting close and lending mercy is not standing on top of this pit or even kneeling down and lending a hand. What it means to stay close is to actually get in that pit. To get in that pit and to to lift this person up that they may get out. To lend them mercy. In the example that Paul gives us in Philippians 2 about what your attitude should be like, he, he points us to taking on the example of our Lord Jesus, who did not cling to his rights as God, but emptied himself and made himself nothing. At the heart, friends, of what that means in Philippians 2 is getting under. It is not standing on top of the pit and saying, reach higher. Reach higher. Come on. Reach higher. It is saying, I'm going to get down there with you. Stay close in friendship that you may lend mercy. Finally, get interested. What about getting interested? Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. We see Ruth take a a great, great interest in in Naomi. And what is interesting is one uh, one girl, Katie, on our in speaking team, pointed out that this interest is not blurred by any sort of cultural or religious expectations. There's some rules being broken here. Even Naomi herself has said, go, go back, go back to your people. Go, go do what you're supposed to do and find a husband and have some kids. Said, Ruth says, no, I'm interested. I'm going with you. I'm staying with you in all of it. And I'm not going to let the fact that our faith might be different stop us. Our religion might be different stop us. Get Interested. Friendship is friendship when it gets interested in the things that you are interested in. When you get interested in the things that people around you are interested in. This is one of the more basic rules of friendship, right? Some of the, the people that have become my closest friends are people that I enjoy going on a run with. People that I enjoy reading the Bible with. People that I have a common interest with. Friends, friendship gets interested. Are you interested in what your friends are up to? Are you interested with the things that they're studying and the the dreams and hopes and desires that they have? Friendship gets interested. Friendship transforms Naomi's doubts. Remember that what we're talking about here is a woman who is bitter. But what this relationship that we see that starts in this first chapter of Ruth does is it restores hope. Ruth's bitterness is transformed through this friendship. or I'm sorry, Naomi's bitterness is transformed through this friendship. And Ruth is transformed as well. Isn't that amazing that these two friends, both who are suffering, one who's suffering a little more, a little bit more, they come alongside each other and what happens? Both are transformed. Both are changed 
Naomi is back to a place of hope. And together, these, these two that were individuals that have come together, then continue on together and end up joining with this, this bigger community. And I invite you to read through chapters 2, 3, and 4 of Ruth and notice how many times there are blessings exchanged and kindness is, is offered. Those two words are one and the same where they're, they're greeting each other and they're, and they're saying, Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be him. May kindness come to him. This person who was bitter is now receiving blessings and giving blessings and remembering that God is kind. But we see that happening in community. It is in community that those that both are transformed, primarily as these two come into meeting this man named Boaz. Boaz is, is an upstanding man who, who ended up being their, their kinsman redeemer, which basically means he was family. And he, he, was, he was the closest, closest relative that Naomi had, but then he ends up taking on Ruth as, as uh, his wife. And so the story concludes on a very hopeful and redemptive note. This woman who is bitter, who joins up with one other, who then comes into a community where they are able to share and remember that God is good. That God is kind. That God blesses. That's God's kindness. It's not material blessing. It's just remembering that God is for you. And so hear the end of this story as, as now Naomi and Ruth are back in the promised land, close as ever, but now Ruth has found another husband. He, she has married Boaz. Hear the end of this story. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a family guardian. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse the father of David. Naomi takes her child, gives it to her mother-in-law in this beautiful moment where everything is restored. Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And from the line of David, came Jesus. You see, in this story, hope was restored through friendship, through community. And it was not just Naomi's hope. It was our hope as well because from this line comes Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. God in friendship with you. God with us. 
And by the power that is at work in each of us, we have the opportunity to bear witness to this Jesus that comes from the line of David, this thing that we call the incarnation. We have the opportunity to be Jesus with skin on for those wrestling with doubt. For those in the mystery, confusion, and chaos of life, we can be Jesus with skin on. So the first call of the scripture is to be a friend. Be Jesus with skin on. Be a friend by groaning, by getting interested and staying close. Be a friend. Second, find a friend. Maybe you find yourself in that pit tonight. Find somebody that is going to be Jesus with skin on. That's going to groan with you and empathize with you and stay close. And maybe together, you can find community. Find a place where you can find other people that are on the same journey. That you might remember that God is for you. That God is kind, compassionate, gracious, merciful. God with skin on that helps others out of the pit. That helps us out of the pit Find community. There are ways that you can find that community here. By connecting to a Bible study with Young Life. By going and and praying with somebody in the back tonight when you don't know what to pray. If you find yourself in that pit, go and do those things. Or meet with somebody on the UMIN staff. If you find yourself lonely tonight going, I don't have a friend and I don't even know where to turn. I invite you to turn to the human staff. Let's be Jesus with skin on for those that doubt. And may we commit to getting in the pit and extending empathy and mercy and love and bearing witness to the love of Jesus in our own skin. Let us pray. Lord, give us the courage and the energy to be a friend. Uh, Lord, give us that same uh, courage to find some friends. Uh, Lord, lead us to places where we can connect, that we may, uh, that our doubts may be transformed into greater faith, into a greater knowledge of knowing your kindness. Lord, we do thank you, uh, even in this moment, for those people that are around us, for those that have uh, stayed close, for those that have groaned, for those that have been interested. Lord, we rejoice. Lord, for those that are lonely, I want to pray tonight that you would lead them to friendship. And for those that are adrift, that you would lead them into community. Lord, may we be a community that receives all those that are in need of transformation, that are in need of redeeming redeeming chaos and growing in faith. Lord, help us to be that as we continue to worship in Christ's name. Amen.